These are the scripture readings. Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Genesis 3-1-5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Matthew 4, 1 to 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was, was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 6, 16 to 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Romans 12, 1-2 Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we have a difficult relationship with food here in America. Next time you're in the grocery store aisle, take a look at the magazine covers at the checkout. See, on one hand, we have pictures of decadent desserts and yummy foods and recipes of how to make them, nestled amongst candies and snacks and soda. But right next to them, you see these Hollywood physiques, draped in high fashion, sculpted by plastic surgery and uh, uh, personal trainers, and filtered through Photoshop. Even if you only shop online, you probably can scroll through the same kinds of images on your Instagram feed. Two completely incompatible lifestyle ideals. 
You can't do this and have a body like this. You add to those ideals the challenges of food insecurity, excess food in some places and not enough food in other places. We have high fructose corn syrup-based processed diets that makes the least nutritious food the most accessible and affordable for most. But it's not just this unhealthy relationship with food. Food and our body and our hunger for food has way more control over us than we often like to admit. Often we're not actually in control of our lives. Rather, our lives are being controlled by our appetites and desires. So what are we to do with this necessary but fraught relationship with food? Today we start a new series on the spiritual discipline of fasting. Now, if you're newer here to WCF, our faith community is on a journey of becoming Jesus' apprentices through spiritual practices. Every few months, as Neil already mentioned, we'll be exploring different spiritual practices that help us to be formed in Christ's likeness for the sake of others. Spiritual practices don't earn you heavenly brownie points before God. They are simply what we do to put ourselves in a place to encounter the God of love and to be changed by God. They are what we do in the day-to-day, in the week-to-week rhythm of our lives to attend to the presence of Jesus. You can head to our website uh, and catch up on the practices like Sabbath and prayer that we've already done in recent months. Now, fasting is a spiritual discipline of subtraction, much like silence and solitude and simplicity. Unlike some other practices like scripture and prayer and community, these are things that we add to our lives. These practices of subtraction are how we encounter God by in removing those things that often fill us and distract us from God's activity in our lives. So today we're going to cover fasting as a new way to offer ourselves to God. But let me do a quick overview of the scriptures that Martha read for us to help us get there. See, in the creation account found in Genesis chapter 2, we're told that God formed the first human. His name was Adam. But in Hebrew, Adam simply means mankind or humankind. And God formed Adam out of earth, which in Hebrew is Adamah, and then breathed the spirit into that earth formed. In Hebrew, it's called Ruach. Both of these were necessary to bring this first human to life. Earth and spirit, Adamah and Ruach, both in this symbiotic relationship of what holistic humanity might look like. Physicality and spirituality. You are more than just a body, and you are more than just a spirit or a soul. God, from the very beginning, intended for you and I to be an integrated being of body and spirit. Next chapter, Genesis 3, describes how the first sin entered into the world. And that came through food. Satan's temptation, though, was not food itself. Food was this icon for defining what was good and evil before God. See, beneath the, um, the prohibition to eat the forbidden fruit was a core temptation to trust your own instinct, to trust your own gut, to trust the voice of the serpent rather than the voice of the good God who loves us. And how did that temptation come to Adam and Eve? Through food. To eat or not to eat. 
Now we know how this, most of us know how the story goes. Later in the chapter, in chapter 3, we're told that Adam and Eve did eat that fruit. And as a result, something happened in all of creation. An inversion took place. Rather than humanity ruling over creation, humans had this fraught relationship with creation. They came under creation, under a serpent from the animal kingdom and under food from the plant world in creation. Fast forward to another beginning in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus, as we're told, is led by the Spirit before he begins his active ministry. He's led by the Spirit to go into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. And we're told after fasting 40 days, he was hungry. The tempter comes to him with a temptation that also has to do with food. The very first temptation. Does it sound familiar? And what does Jesus say? Man, or in Hebrew, Adam, shall not live by bread alone. Where Adam and Eve failed in this temptation, Jesus succeeded. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul later theologizes this story, saying, In Adam all died, but in Christ all are raised to life. So how did Jesus succeed where Adam and Eve failed? During his wandering in the wilderness, what was he doing? He was praying, he was in solitude, he was in silence, and he was fasting. And even though he was hungry, he was stronger than ever before. And only then did he have the control and authority over his body to go head-to-head -head with the tempter. So let me just repeat to be clear. Food itself is not sinful. And fasting won't save you and won't please God more. But it's what food often represents to us that can help us pay attention to as we're fasting. Two chapters later, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And there he says to his followers, for those who are called to fasting, or if you fast. No, he doesn't say that. He says, when you fast. When you fast. See, Jesus was speaking to a community that regularly fasted. When you fast, the Father will reward you. Meaning there's this gift on the other side of fasting that's waiting for us. And though it wasn't a command, fasting was a regular practice for Jews in Jesus' day and continued on throughout Christian history. And it only stopped being a regular practice for many Christians in, in the past 150, 200 years. If we go through Scripture, we'll see that the first fast that we recognize is when Moses was at Mount Sinai and he fasted for 40 days. And there he also calls the entire nation of Israel to fast on the Day of Atonement. Other characters we see, Daniel and David and Samuel and Esther and many of the prophets, they all fasted regularly. They fasted as individuals, but they also fasted as a community, calling people together. It, by Jesus' time, it was very common practice for Jews to fast twice a week. And the early Christians continued that practice of fasting. In the Didache, which is one of the earliest New Testament writings describing Christian practices, fasting was commanded on Wednesdays and Fridays, and for two full days before your baptism. Almost all of the church fathers and mothers talk about fasting, and the practice of fasting continued through the next millennia and a half. And it's only in the 18th century where we start seeing this decline. J. 
John Wesley, the reformer, church reformer, lamented the drop-off of regular fasting in his Methodist denomination. My point is, fasting is one of the most essential and powerful practices of Jesus, but it's also one of the most neglected practices in the Western church today. Fasting is still vigorously practiced in Eastern streams of Christianity, such as the Eastern Orthodox or Coptic Christians in Egypt and Ethiopia. In fact, the Muslim practice of Ramadan was actually based on the Christian practice of Lent. So, all that history to say fasting was a normal part of Christian practice throughout most of our history, but it's dropped off. So, what exactly is fasting? So, let's talk quickly. Fasting is not abstinence. As I was preparing for this series, I realized what I called fasting for myself was not actually fasting, because I often fasted from social media, I fasted from online shopping, I fasted from certain activities, but that's not fasting. That's simply abstinence. Secondly, it's not a restricted diet. You know, in kind of American Christianity, we hear people call the Daniel fast. But it's not actually a fast. It's a restricted diet. In this Daniel story, a fa- the word fast is never used to describe what he's doing. It's not a fast. It's just a restricted diet, which also has a long and rich history in the church. So what fasting is, at its most basic, is not eating food. And for those of you looking at loopholes, it's not making smoothies, not throwing things into a blender, all right, to make yourself feel full. It's simply not eating food and drinking water. So how long do we fast for? There's no set time. It's not a commandment, so it's kind of what we develop that's helpful to us. Most fasting happens from waking up to sundown as a regular practice. But there are examples in Scripture of two-day fasts, three-day fasts, seven-day fasts, 20-day fasts, 21-day fasts, 40-day fasts. Because fasting isn't a command, it's up to you and how you can decide to engage in fasting as a practice. In both Scripture and in, the church, in church history, we see kind of two types of fasting. One is fasting as a rhythm, and secondly, fasting as a response. As a rhythm, this would be like many Christians in history, fasting twice a week. Fasting on Fridays is still something many Catholics still practice today. That's a rhythm, weekly. Fasting can also be done as a response. In Scripture, we see God's people calling, being called to fast when there's a response to a national crisis, a response to a grief or death and loss. King Saul, when King Saul died in 1 Samuel 31, the nation was called to fast. In Jonah chapter 3, when the king of Nineveh heard that uh, it was going to be destroyed, he called all of the nation to respond and fast and to repent. In Esther 4, when the Hebrew people are threatened with genocide, Queen Esther calls for a three-day fast, and they are saved. It's a response, but also a rhythm. It's done alone, but also done in community with others. And finally, we come to the most important question of all. Why do we exactly fast? What's the purpose of fasting? So fasting has kind of become a trend now in the health and fitness world, right? To reach your health goals, like intermittent fasting. Now, fasting as a spiritual discipline may have physical benefits. 
But those are not the primary reasons that we fast as a practice of following Jesus. Now, if you're already fasting for health reasons, then you are one step ahead than many of us here. All you, what I invite you to do is to consider the spiritual reasons for your fasting and add that to your practice. So there's four categories that we're going to be covering in this next, in this next month. Today, we're covering the offering ourselves to Jesus as a reason for fasting. Secondly, to grow in holiness. Third, to amplify our prayers. And four, to stand with the poor. Fasting to offer ourselves, fasting to grow in holiness, fasting to amplify our prayers, and fourth, fasting to stand with the poor. So we'll cover each one of those in the coming weeks. But today we're going to look at how we offer ourselves to Jesus through fasting. The early disciples continued the Jewish practice of fasting to identify with this primal body level of what the Apostle Paul called participating with the sufferings of Christ. They are the, these kinds of practices are intentionally laying down, uh, following the pattern of Jesus, laying himself down. There's death followed by life afterwards. We don't fast because we hate our bodies or because we, didn't, um, we hate pleasure, but it's out of a desire for Jesus that we fast. To be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, and to become like Jesus. This is the ultimate reason for why we fast. It's because we hunger for Jesus and for his transformation and for his healing to take place in our lives. What's happening when we physically hunger? Our bodies are telling us that we need or that we want something that we right now do not have. That's what's happening when your body is sending hunger signals, right? You need food now. You're running low on energy. You're running low on sugar. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight calls fasting, quote, body talk. It's a way of praying with your body. As you hunger physically, you're also reminded, God, I hunger for you. I want you. God, I need you. Now, many times during the course of our day, I think we don't always say we want God and we feel God or we don't feel hungry for God. In fact, you might feel apathetic towards God in your life. And this is all the more reason to fast. Fasting has this potential to awaken this latent hunger within our souls for God. Fasting is a practice to offer ourselves to God with all of our lives. Consider Paul's line in Romans chapter 12. He says, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Note Paul's word choice here. Offer your bodies. Not just offer your thoughts. Offer your prayers. Often that happens in gun violence response. We lift up thoughts and prayers. No, we need more than thoughts and prayers. God says, not just your heart. Our worship to God involves both an offering of our hearts and our bodies. You know, in the Pentecostal and charismatic tradition I spent many years in, there's a lot of emphasis on giving your heart to Jesus. We sing about it, we pray about it, we feel it, we want to feel the God working on our hearts, and, we, and that's beautiful. But it does, God doesn't just call for our hearts. He calls for all that we are, including our bodies. You know, a lot of Christian spirituality in the West has emphasized the heart and the mind more than the body because we win souls to Jesus. 
We often overemphasize this inner life at the expense of the physical life that we have. And we've lost what the Pope John Paul II calls a theology of the body. A theology of the body is quite simply the truth that all of Scripture says that you don't have a body, you are a body. Or more precisely, the body you have is part, an integrated part of who you are. And any attempts to value our true selves more than our bodies that we have downplays a the robust theology of the body. Jesus came in a body. It's a doctrine we call the incarnation. And to save all of our body, which is the doctrine of resurrection. See, one day in the future, when Jesus returns, what happened to Jesus' body in his resurrection will happen to the bodies of all who trust Jesus. We will be raised from death to life. And until that time comes, our following Jesus must also take seriously our bodies now. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6 to the Corinthian church, saying, Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Your body is a temple. It's a dwelling place for God. So what you do with your body actually matters. The body is the sphere where our discipleship to Jesus hits the ground. It's not just an idea or a feeling, but it's a practice in what Jesus calls this way of life. These spiritual practices help the teachings of Jesus get ingrained into our body and become what psychologists call muscle memory. Teachings of Jesus into our body so that whenever we face a situation, the muscle memory kicks in and we respond the way Jesus invites us to respond automatically. Fasting is one of those practices that helps us do that, to get the teachings of Jesus into our bodies, not just in our brains. Back to Romans 12. We offer our whole bodies to Jesus, including our bodies, to Jesus, in view of God's mercy. See, we don't fast, we don't do spiritual disciplines to earn favor from God. Fasting is one of the ways that we respond to God's mercy and love already extended towards us. We do this for God because of all that God has done for us. We give up food because of all that God gave up. God gave everything. We give, offer our body in devotion because Jesus has already offered his body for our salvation. We fast to break on a healthy relationship with food. We fast to recognize our hunger for God and to draw near to God. And we fast so that, uh, and fasting is simply not eating food so that we can press deeper into this hunger and relationship with with God. Before we conclude, let me just address a few challenges that some of us might face or have faced when we're talking about fasting. Some of us have had an unhealthy relationship with food, and it shows up in deprivation or indulgence. We eat too little regularly or we eat too much regularly because of our fears and insecurities. Others of us, it shows up in legalism. We count our calories, we jump on the scale, every day to see how uh, and we have all these tools to measure ourselves now we can get judgy of our self counting 
Or we can get judgy of others and look at what they eat and what their lifestyle is like. Or we can, some of us might struggle with eating disorders because of body image concerns that spill over into unhealthy eating practices. See, all of these realities can overshadow the attempts to fast for spiritual reasons. And if you're still processing this in your life, or you've struggled with it in the past, don't feel like you must fast so that, so that you can protect yourself from unhealthy patterns and habits that you have been struggling with. See, if we end up too much focusing on food and diet and nutrition at the expense of focusing on Jesus, then we're, we're not really doing fasting for the right reasons. So what do you do with this, if this is you? Well, first, be honest with it. Be honest with your eating, whether it's a disorder or unhealthy practices. Name it for what it is. Actually invite someone who cares about you, who is willing to speak the truth, and say, hey, do you think this is a problem for me? Secondly, go and get help. Talk to a therapist. Talk to a spiritual director. Talk to a pastor or an elder. Someone who's wise and just let them know so that they can support you. Three, pray. Don't just, pr don't just pray about it. Pray to Jesus and commune with Jesus. Ask Jesus what he thinks of you and what he thinks, uh, who he thinks you are. Ask him if your relationship with food has been detrimental to your health physically, but also spiritually. Lastly, just remove access to temptations. Sometimes that means taking the scale out of your house. Sometimes it makes, means removing some apps on your phone and your watches that automatically track so many things. And watch the comments that you make about your body image or especially in front of your children. See, this invitation to fasting is an invitation. It's an invitation to meet Jesus and to be transformed. But sometimes we need to explore God's love for us first, to hear his love for us as we are. Jesus' invitation is to have our hearts and minds transformed, to be healed and made whole. I must admit, as I came into this practice, I came into it with some reticence, because I didn't fast regularly before. In many ways, let me tell you why. In many ways, my body is like a machine. Not, not because it's like a source of pride, but because it literally operates like a machine. I, I automatically wake up after X amount of hours. I don't need an alarm clock. I get hungry every four hours, so I eat every time I get hungry. And almost as, almost as regularly as I eat, it goes out the other end. If that's too much information for a Sunday message, that's okay. <laughs> Forgive me. And I can eat, and I have a really high metabolism. I can pretty eat, much eat like a teenager, and it doesn't really, you know, it burns off. But as I was conversing with God about how to practice fasting, I was humming and hawing about, oh, you want fasting 24 hours? That seems kind of hard, God. I, I'm active, and it's going to draw me energy. I'm going to be grumpy and hangry and all this other stuff. But then I said to God, but I heard God say to me, he's like, Andrew, will you trust me? You, I'll meet you if you're willing to take the step. So I went ahead with it, and, and I was on a retreat this week at a, at a Catholic seminary, um, and I spent an evening talking with God about this fasting practice and, and my body image, and I was doing that as I was walking around a prayer labyrinth. And as I did so, God met me in a surprising way. He pointed out that my relationship with food is not that healthy. Because I can basically eat anything at any amount, at any time of day, and it doesn't really affect me physically, 
I've indulged in food more than I should. Even though food doesn't appear to affect my physical health, it was actually getting in the way of my spiritual health. And I felt God was challenging me to trust him with my hunger, to lean into my hunger so I can offer myself more to God, to be formed in Christ's likeness. You see, one of the fruits of being like Christ, described in the fruits of the Spirit, is self-control. And God was calling me to a new level of self-control. See, I'm, not, I'm still figuring out what that's looking like and what it's like to fast as a regular rhythm, but I'm trusting God to meet me in the middle of it. When I fast, I'm looking forward to the reward which is on the other side. What's that reward? It's Christ himself. That's why I'm hoping to do this. I mean, as, you, as we're entering into this month of reflecting on fasting, I invite you to do it as well. But don't do it alone. If you're in a small group, many of us will be diving further into this practice and sharing our experiences with fasting or our thoughts about it. Offer all of yourself to God, including your body, including your eating habits, because God is a God of love, and God will meet you in these coming weeks. I believe that. I'm looking forward to hearing how God is showing up in your lives as you do so. To God be the glory.